Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. What can I do, not what can't I do? That was my motto going through my chemo then. All the hard times I got into and just like every month, part of it was worth it. Every athlete has a story. This is gonna be mine, I'm gonna get through this. Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. We're a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community, and it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you could leave a review or share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. And now, on to the episode. Well, we are super excited to have uh, a very special guest on the One Goal podcast today. Somebody that rode in Pelotonia 2021, uh, fresh off winning uh, a silver medal in the Tokyo Olympics. So, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, before we jump into your Pelotonia experience and Olympic experience and, and all that that entails, let's go all the way back to uh, where you grew up, um, how your interest in triathlon started to begin with. So I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago, Illinois, which is Geneva. Growing up, my family was actually a big boating family, so they wanted to make sure I was comfortable in the water. I did some swim lessons and it turned out I was actually really good at swimming. So then from there, I joined the swim team, got hooked into swimming, made some really good friends on the swim team. And one of my now best friends, uh, his family was really into triathlon and there was a kid's triathlon team that had just started. So I went there and joined him and did it. And I was hooked after that. What age did you start swim lessons that then transferred in the swim team and all that stuff? I think it was like six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like you're under 10 doing a, a triathlon for the first time on like uh, just like whatever bike you had at the time, like a kid's bike. I was on like a little like Schwinn mountain bike that we got probably from like a sports authority or something that had already seen its day at some level. I had no idea what gearing was, how to shift stuff on it. I just like would mess around on it. So that was what I did my first triathlon on. It was pretty comical. I'm on the bike and I'm going up these hills, spinning in like a million cadence, not realizing you can change gears. And one of my buddy blows by me. I was like, how are you going so fast? We still joke about that today. That's funny. And I, <laughs> how did that come to be when when you chose or decided you wanted to go down the path of, of triathlon? Part of it is obviously it's three sports. 
of swim bike run and I was on a swim team, loved to swim. And I was just starting to like figure out running. And then I thought the biking was really fun. And I think that I was pretty fortunate where the kids triathlon team had just started. And so I got a full kickstart into it. And the kids on that team were incredible. They all became some of my best friends. So I think I read somewhere that you called a family meeting to like explain <laughs> that you wanted to, that you wanted to pursue triathlon. Like, what was that? I guess, why'd you feel the need to call a family meeting? Yeah. Well, I mean, my parents, they wanted to make sure I had balance in life as a whole. They saw how this team was. It was definitely a high performance level team where it wasn't your basic backyard soccer team. I wanted to do this. I want to be a part of this team. So I begged them and I had to explain reasons why and, and they let me do it. So how, how old were you when, when that happened? 12? I, I think it was 12. Yeah. 12. Um, and so what age, or maybe it was a certain event uh, that you finished or, or something where you realized like there was a future and that things like the world championships or the Olympics were in your, you know, in your purview with, with training and something you could actually reach for. When I was 16, the first year, I actually qualified for the, my, the world's team then, which is not really normal for the 16-year-old because you're racing 19-year-olds. So I was competing against all these older guys. And at 16, I think it was really good that I actually raced that because, yeah, I got my butt handed to me. It was very eye-opening, but it's a really good experience because in the following year when I was 17, I went in and I ended up fourth. The next year, I made this like youth Olympic team and was second and third there. I was like, okay this Olympic dream is a reality. That is a, around the same time in your life when, when you got some pretty devastating news being diagnosed with cancer. So you're at the sort of top of your, your junior sport and not to be overly dramatic, but a, a little bit of it comes crashing down right in front of your face, right? I would have never envisioned that. First off, I'm 18 years old. It's extremely healthy. I do everything right. I don't smoke. I don't drink. You just don't think as an 18 year old, you're going to be dealt with this news. And I had actually just before this diagnosis done my first professional triathlon. Little did I know three days later, I was told I had cancer. I definitely looking back had some signs. I was definitely a bit more fatigued those previous months. And then the other thing was I specifically remember this one run I was doing. I remember I had this pain in my chest and I had to stop. And then it kind of like subsided and then I continued on and ran and didn't think much else of it. And within that professional triathlon race, I remember it was like the last bit in my throat, it was actually hurting a bit too. And I was like, oh, I have some pain that kind of that same area and it's harder to breathe, but maybe it's just because I'm pushing myself so hard. Turns out the reason I was having that pain was those were tumors. But my mom's a nurse. And so after I came home from that triathlon that I did, I was wearing this big baggy shirt just at night, talking with her, so excited about the race. And she, she like, saw this thing. She's like, let me see that. And she like, grabbed my neck, kind of looked. You could see in her face, there was like a stress, but I didn't think too much of it. And then she kind of went back in her room. I guess she did not sleep that night, but she then said the next morning, she's like, we're going into my office. Um, I want to get this like lump checked out. And so we got checked out, they did an ultrasound, and they were like, it looks like there's some kind of bulge or tear. So they thought maybe there's a muscle tear or something going on. So go and get an MRI, and that's where it identified all the tumors. 
Describe sort of the process of, you know, going to the doctor and hearing that news and, and what was going on in your head sort of at that time. I'll go back like even just like a few hours from this diagnosis. So I was actually at this this Christian high school doing a, like a speech, just talking about my story in sport. And I had my youth Olympic medals. I was there sharing my story. And one of the questions that the guy asked is like, what would happen if triathlon was taken away from you? And then it was crazy because this kid came up to me with this coin and he said a prayer over me and he gave me this coin. He's like, this is my special coin, but I want you to have it. It was really weird how this kid just came up out of the crowd just randomly and just said that, gave me this coin. And yeah, complete stranger walked up. Yeah. And he's like, this is my special coin. It's been our family, but I want you to have it. And probably that was the moment my parents were honestly getting the news that I was diagnosed with cancer. And so then I go home and then my parents are on the kitchen table and that's where I was given the news. Like they had me sit down and they're like, you have cancer. So they, so they sit you down and they say, you have cancer. I can't imagine coming home to that, you know, sitting yeah. and having your parents tell you. Well, first, we didn't know exactly what kind. Then like two days later, we did biopsies, all this stuff. And it became, we got news it was Hodgkin's in stage two. I would just have to go through six months of chemo, which is still pretty intense. But at least I knew there was an end in sight. I actually then remember saying, I was like, well, you know what? Every athlete has a story. This is going to be mine. I'm going to get through this. So you, you go in to the hospital for your first chemo. What was your expectation of how long you were going to be there? How you were going to feel? Like, what were you thinking when you walked in for that experience? I was nervous. That was the most yeah. nervous I'd ever been in my life. I had no idea what to expect. Doctors prepared me like this could be tough. They're like, you're probably going to get sick. You're probably going to get hospitalized for a few days at times. You're going to get rushed in the ER for situations. You're going to have, you're probably going to have some complications throughout the bit because that's just how this all works. When I went in for my first treatment, there was this lady who could definitely, who caught wind that this was my first chemotherapy and she probably could see me with my parents nervous. And she came up to me and said, live your life as normal as possible. Don't think of the all what you're missing, but change their perspective to what can you do through this. And honestly, that was my motto going through my chemo then. What can I do, not what can't I do? It was tough because that was my senior year. You have your last summer with all your friends. It's like your normal thing, like graduation parties. So that was all kind of taken away from me. But so it was definitely a hard mindset at first, but I tried to shift it and think of how fortunate I was getting through this and support and the community that I had around me. Were you able to do any sort of training or physical activity during it, during sort of your chemo or <laughs> were you pretty beaten down? Yeah, I pushed boundaries. I would literally go and get my chemo and then you're not allowed to drive after chemo. So I'd have a friend take me to triathlon practice and I would go <laughs> run with my triathlon teams. It was from my third time after chemo. I went for a practice and went for a run and every it was like a switch, like a light switch. I got really sick. I had to walk walk the rest of the run back, lay on this bench, and I was so nauseous. And then went home and was in bed for a long time. As things progressed, I got sicker and sicker by the treatment. It went from 
go in, get my chemo, and then I'd go home and I wouldn't eat for two days and I'd lay in bed. Then it became to where I couldn't really talk much because I was just so nauseous and just like you get that metallic taste, you know, from like chemo sometimes. Yeah, that's what stuff. a lot of people talk about. And it, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's real. So I would be spitting in this tin bin next to my bed for two days. I had chemo every other week. So I'd have a good week. Then where the good week was, I could be more normal and go to practices. But I still did some stuff. I actually, it was probably two and a half months into chemo. I did a downhill mile race. And What's a downhill mile were, race? It was a mile race, but it was a slight downhill. So it was a net downhill. I was there mainly just to like, just to watch. And then I was like, I'm going to go race. And then I go and push myself to that. So it's crazy some of the things I could do. Or even in July, I actually had this contest going with some buddies and we were at a 50 meter pool. And so we had a, a holding your breath contest and see who could get the farthest under the pool. And I got the furthest holding it under 50 meter, the entire length of the 50 meter pool. You made it the entire and length. Wow. We told my doctor that the next day. And first he looked at my parents, like he's not supposed to be swimming, but he knew I was definitely had him nervous, but they also loved it secretly because they're like, this kid is like making the most of it through these. You probably smell the chlorine on you. Uh, when you <laughs> yeah. and- For me, there was a balance and that's where I saw it as like, yeah, okay. I'm probably get pushing my body a bit right now. I wasn't going in then maybe as rested physically into these chemos. So I would pay for it then. And I would probably get sicker than I had I not done all these like activities with my friends. But for me, it was worth it to get a bit sicker, like just nauseous and being in bed that maybe extra day than just being getting everything taken away from me. I got to go to prom. So I could have gotten really sick. But for me, that prom night was probably still one of my high, biggest highlights of my life. I wasn't Kevin with cancer. No one, I didn't want anyone at that point. They were just like, I was Kevin. So you finish up chemo and a lot of people know this, but it's, it's not like you you go for your last chemo and then you're feeling fine. You know, you've been physically sort of wrecked for the last however many months. And um, obviously you still had the strong desire to um, compete. Were you lined up to go to college that fall? (laughs) That was another fun thing that my doctor loved is he's like, you're not going to go to college your first semester. And I said, yeah, I am. I I moved out to college drove all my stuff out with my buddies and my parents. Where did you go? Where did you end up going to college? Uh, University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. Okay. Yeah. So I went out there, dropped all my stuff off, and then I actually had to fly home to go for my last chemo. And that was rough. I was definitely not in a mentally good place. I'm not going to lie. Those chemos were tough. I wanted the cancer thing to be done at that point. I luckily made it through and then got to fly out. Um, the next week once I had recovered from that final treatment and start college. I honestly think in some ways, which sounds crazy, me battling cancer at the beginning was the easy part. I think the return back to life after being my cancer was the harder part. Was there any dynamic in terms of being away from home that, you know, you because you think about, you know, you were you know, late teenager, I was in my early 20s. There's like all these other circumstances in your life that are not quite figured out where if you're 60 and have cancer, you've got a lot more things figured out, but like you're away from home, you're trying to start this new thing called college, you're trying to get back to this Olympic sport. And a lot of people in your life are like, hey, congratulations on being done with treatment. And you're like, no, this like I, my life is still kind of a wreck. What were the things that 
you did or you looked to that like got you through? I surround myself with some really good friends. Ryan, Kelly, and Joanna, they were some of my best friends out there who I was with every day. But I was still just trying to figure everything out. I think the biggest thing for me was though, I never recognized what I was going through in cancer. I like was so positive through it and I then discredited what I went through. So I never, I was like, my chemo was easy. Years later, my parents were like, yours was really intense. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on like the idea of survivor's guilt a little bit, which is that thing that like creeps, you know, creeps into a lot of people's minds like down the road is, you know, this almost like guilty feeling of either, you know, I made it and someone didn't or, you know, I had it easier than that person and you you start start to weigh weigh on you a little bit. It really did. And honestly, I was mentally unstable. I'm not going to lie. For a few years after that chemo, like my battle post-cancer was almost harder than my, was way harder, way harder than my actual battle with cancer. You're still growing at 18. You're still going through your puberty and your growth. Like it destroyed my hormones in a way. Like when your testosterone stuff and all this, obviously you're going to be moody. Your emotions are off, everything. You're not thinking logically. I was like, why am I feeling like this? Because I shouldn't be feeling like this because I don't have cancer anymore. I shouldn't be feeling off. I shouldn't be stable. I should be so happy and thankful and positive because I'm through this, but my chemicals weren't right. I was pushing myself at this elite level on a body that was already pushed to its limit. And so I was a wreck for a bit. I wasn't always great to be around at times because I just wasn't mentally yeah, healthy, I mean, you weren't, weren't stable, like from hormone balance and yeah i mean that's like a really good example of something that happens sort of after treatment that lingers for for a long time that 2013 year i took five months away from the sport i focused on kevin i got kevin right not as kevin the athlete kevin as a person i actually was meeting with a psychologist and i hated going for a lot (laughs) of it but the thing is i hated it because actually i needed it but she got into me in the roots of stuff and my thinking and logic and I owe a lot to her. She was one of those early stages that really tilted me towards getting Kevin back to being Kevin as a person. And then once I had all my balances back in check, my weight was regained. My mental state was better. My, like I was, my hormones were back in check. Um, I then started to build back in the triathlon. I had a different coach at the time then. And then I actually moved to Arizona and did a lot of my schooling online, but still went there to just take myself out of this situation where I was very toxic for a bit in Colorado Springs. I got a fresh start, started progressing with a bit like different change of scenery and everything. And that's then where all of a sudden things started to progress and progress towards where it's like 2014, I had some good results in 2015. I was like starting to really produce results. And it's like Rio, the Olympics in 2016 really became the equation. I missed it which was very hard, but then we put it to reality after a bit, like 2020 is always what I was going for. So let's talk about that and and sort of leading up to the Olympics and, you know, what the the series of, what the training was like, but then what the series of events looked like to the point where you, you were named to the Olympic team. Yeah, 2017, I actually had a really good year. And then 2018, I actually had a really good winter. But then I had a series of very unfortunate events where it's like I flattered in a race and then I got food poisoning before a race. And then I, I actually discovered I was anemic. So my iron was really messed up. 
So then I had to balance that. And then I picked up an injury um, right after that. And I was just taking so many blows that literally I was like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. I remember I had a conversation with my parents. I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. Like, this is like, I can't take any more of these blows. And they were just like, just, you can't make a decision off of this right now. Give it this winter, see how it goes. So I did give it one more bit. And that's then when the light switched. 2019, I all of a sudden started to really break out. Then the Olympics actually really started becoming the equation for 2020. And I started to believe I could make it. Going into the 2020 pre-COVID, I actually really started to improve that winter. Came into my first race and I was like, I, I can make this team. And then COVID hit. Yeah, what was that like where COVID hit? the Olympics were still going to happen. And then like the plans, I feel like the plans for the Olympics changed like five times before they ended up canceling. So about a month before COVID really hit, I had really started to progress in training. When it got canceled, like the thing where I think I was able to manage through the cancellation better than some people did right away was I've had things taken away from me a lot. Like a lot of opportunities I missed through my cancer and the return back that I was like, this is a delay. It's not canceled. So I can deal with this. COVID for me was a really positive time. I learned a lot about myself in different ways. Like I still trained a lot and I actually made it, made some changes. I changed coaches that year. I actually rerouted myself to being more based by my family in Colorado Springs. So I made some changes that COVID year and realized my passion for triathlon was still there. That it then really set me up going into 2021 to really catapult where to where I'm at now. So you make the Olympic team. Was that the result of a single race or a series of races? I guess the question I'm asking was like, did you cross the finish line at some point and no? So we had two automatic selection events. One was in 2019 where no male qualified. So then we still had our spots for grabs. And then our second one was in 2021. I ended up 11th, but a guy got third. So the guy in front of me automatically qualified. But for me, that was such a big step forward from where I'd been. I was like, oh, wow, this is really exciting. Because, I mean, I was coming down a sprint line for 6 to 11. There was three seconds between all of us. Oh, and so wow. I, I, I almost was in automatic selection criteria myself. Then it became up for discretion. So a panel had this, like, all these criterias and markers. And for me, I was sitting pretty well with how I'd been racing and my consistency. Because one thing for me is maybe I wasn't always the highest performer. Like but I was super consistent across the board. I knew they were really looking at the mixed team relay. And so I displayed all elements of that, why I could be a really good mixed team relay athlete for them. And so then I got the call. It had to be one of the best moments of your life. That was one of them for sure. It was crazy. And it was more just like special to share it with everyone around me because it wasn't just me that called, it was this whole team because it was such a team effort. So you, you get to, to Tokyo and so you're gearing up for this individual race. What were your expectations going into that race? I surpassed all expectations. My motto going into that games was I wanted no regrets. One thing I think that was really special was this team that we had there. We were all really close. The male boys and girls team was super tight. We had so much fun. We chose to eat dinners together every day. We would hang out for outside of it, we would do training sessions together, leaning in while we were at Tokyo. Like we were one team. And I think that's what really showed on the day when then we ended up with the silver is we were racing together as one. You're out there racing, not for just yourself, but for your teammates and your country. So it means a lot more 
So it just really gets you to bring out the best of you. You guys won silver. So once you finished, um, you know, they do, they had a medal ceremony. They put a silver medal over your neck. And what was the feeling or emotion that sort of came over you in that instant? I don't even know how to explain it. It was just like everything, just just thinking of everything that I'd done to get there, everyone that had been a part of it. And it was really just, it was kind of like overwhelming. Just I was thinking of all the moments I got there and all the hard times I got through and just like every part of it was worth it. Do you ever think about your, you know, distinctly think about your cancer experience and sort of going from, you know, the low of having cancer to now having a silver medal around your neck? Yeah, I do. And actually, like, that's kind of one thing that held me on going battling through my cancer. And so then for it actually to become the dream to become reality, that was like nothing else. I want to transition and talk about sort of your Pelotonia experience. And, you know, it was it was an honor to have you join us for Pelotonia this year. And I think, you know, I talked to so many people over the last couple of weeks and thought it was just one of the coolest things that you, you know, came to Columbus and you rode and, um, you know, spoke to our crowd at, at opening ceremony and, you know, curious what you took from the Pelotonia experience and what, you know, what you'll remember out of the weekend. I'm so thankful that you guys had me when I got there and rocked up to the stadium. I was looked at my agent. I was like, Whoa, this is a lot bigger than I even realized. Just like the amount of people and the crowd and the community and talking with all of learning more about it on ground with you guys. Um, it was unbelievable. And then honestly to go out there and then do the speech and just get a stay. Like when you did that medal ceremony, that really just started the day, like the whole weekend for me where I was like, this is that, that left a lasting impression that I'll have for the rest of my life. Everyone there was just so positive and inviting and the ride the next day, I just loved it. Like everyone was out having a good time out, just like supporting each other and hanging out and mixing and matching with a bunch of different people and getting to know each other and getting to know their stories. And it's just like real people and just there just to support an incredible cause. This is what I want to be doing after I'm done with the sport is helping more in these communities and helping more and providing like just insight stories and sharing my story and listening to other people's stories and trying like to find ways we can make a difference to improve other people down the line and help more and more people. Like that's just, it just ignited. I confirmed this is like the next phase on what I want to do once I'm done with track on it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of power in people seeing and hearing your story and the next day being able to ride with you. You are forever part of the Pelotonia family. Um, and I know that there are thousands of people that will be rooting for you. No, thank you for having me on this and inviting me out to Pelotonia because, yeah, it's a truly special weekend for me too to just be a part of a lot of those people. And yeah, maybe next time I'll do the 100 miler. <laughs> This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. One Goal is carefully crafted and produced at the studios of Wessler Media, mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. 
Special thank you to all of our guests for being willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can get seasons one and two, as well as future episodes. If you want to learn more about the Pelotoni community and how you can make an impact on cancer research, see the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.